The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Thank you so much for choosing to join us online today. Wherever you're at, for whatever reason, I'm just thrilled that you're here, that you're choosing to engage. And what I want to start off with is a kind of like an emotional evaluation question, okay? So it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, here's what it is. Would you say at this point, as, as you sit here today watching this message, would you say that you are struggling to find joy, would you say that that is true about you? As you kind of look at your, at your life over the last few weeks, last few days, even over the last few hours, is, is joy something that you would say, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm doing well. I, I'm, I'm feeling good. I feel content. I, I have this joy. Or would you say, you know, I'm struggling right now, and, and I'm not really sure why, but you're asking the question, and it's making me think a little bit. And that, that's something I've been wrestling with just personally over the last few weeks, really, is I feel like I'm kind of honestly teetering right on the edge of a little bit of depression. And, and that's not common for me. Uh, I, I typically don't really live in that arena, but I, I'm starting to do some introspective thinking and I'm going, this, this, is not, this isn't good. And so I'm, I'm asking myself, why? Why am I feeling this way? And, and there's obviously a lot of reasons. Our, our world's kind of flipped upside down right now. And it, by saying kind of, that's an understatement, right? Our world's very flipped upside down from even the little things like the lack of sports. I mean, that can contribute to this. But then there's the bigger things like a pandemic that I kind of thought we were maybe going to be done with, and now it looks like it's going to get a lot worse uh, before it gets better, and I'm not trying to be pessimistic. That's just what it seems to be doing, so I think that's contributing. We've seen in our culture that we have a society that abuses people just because of the color of their skin, and that's that's depressing, and and we have so much going on now politically. What one of the rules that I have at Summit Church is I make no political statements. So this is not a political statement, but we have so much going on politically right now. And it's so polarizing in our nation that I feel like if you say anything, you make any kind of a statement whatsoever, it is going to be received negatively by someone and so that begins to weigh on you. You can't do anything right right now. It feels like that to me at least. And so I, I think that is what's robbing me of the joy that I, I normally possess. And today in our passage in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul addresses, I think, some of this issue. And he says, hey, the reason why you're struggling right now to find joy is because joy is produced in, in one way through unity. Unity produces joy. And Paul's going to teach us this in the first few verses, first four verses of Philippians chapter 2. But if unity produces joy, then division, division, it does the opposite. And in fact, I want to walk us through this really quick. Division produces fear. We're afraid of the other side. We're afraid that they might win. They might get their way. And then this goes back to early childhood. You, if you fear something, you begin to hate that thing. If you fear the dark, you begin to hate the dark. It's just a natural response to the things that we fear. But then hate leads to destruction, 
And I think we can see this very clearly in our society today. We have division, which creates fear. That produces hate. And if we're not very careful, it will produce destruction. I can give you a perfect example from 20, 25 years ago within the church. Maybe you were in this place. Maybe you understand what I'm about to say. 25 years ago, there began to be this conversation about how music needed to change. We had pianos and organs and hymnals, and all of a sudden these hippies were bringing in guitars and drums. And that just wasn't going to work. And so you feared that the person on the other side might get their way. That caused, even within the church, as sad as this is, it caused within the church for people to begin to hate one another simply because they were on the other side of this discussion. And in too many churches in our country, 20, 25 years ago, it destroyed them. And I think that's what we're seeing in our society today. So I want today to bring a message of hope and say that the best, best possible way for us to bring joy into this time is to try to create unity. It's a solution not only for the church because it's mandated for the church. I believe it is a solution for our world. We need to come together, not be pushing ourselves further apart. And luckily, luckily, Paul tells us how to do that. He starts off in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, by saying there's some biblical motivations to pursue unity. Now, before we get into those, I want you to know they are all regarding God to us. Our unity, our communion with God. That's the motivation. We're going to have it modeled for us, God to us. That's the motivation that's going to push us towards unity with others. So Philippians chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore... If you have any encouragement whatsoever from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then he goes on in verse two to say, then may my joy be complete and you would be just like that. So so we're not to verse two yet, but let's just go ahead and look at verse one and break those down. There's there's four things here that Paul says will be motivations to pursue unity. The first one is the encouragement that comes from being united with Jesus. The encouragement that comes from simply knowing that I am his and he is mine. The encouragement that comes from knowing that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. His unity with you is complete and it is secure. This is a great motivation within our own life. The encouragement that comes from knowing Jesus is with you. We feel the power of that unity and I think it biblically motivates us to be united with others. The second thing The comfort from his love. Have you ever experienced the comfort, the warm embrace of God's love? Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 describes it even more. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he is the Father of compassion. And he is the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all of our troubles. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. The comfort that we receive from God motivates us to comfort others, creating unity, creating love. One of the main ways God tangibly shows his love to us is through others, through others loving us. 
Just a few weeks ago, I was at church with my wife and, and my children, and it was the first time that they got to come back to campus after the pandemic, and it will be the last time for a while because of Paige's immune system. She's not going to be here until this, this thing clears up. But in that, there was this sweet sister from, from our church that came up and just said how great it was to get to see us. It's been so long. There was hugs. There was this. And then later that afternoon, my wife came up and just showed me her phone. And this amazing woman had sent us, Venmoed us some money and just said, hey, I know it's been crazy. I know it's been tough. I know this has been a weird season. Go do something fun on us. We love you. Now, I'm not saying that so that you'll all Venmo me money. It's not, not what I'm going for. I'm saying this to let you know that in that moment where I was already feeling a lot of this pressure, I received comfort from that love. And I know that that act was motivated because of God. I know that God was working through this sweet sister to help us see that he's with us, he's doing, he's still there. And that simple act of love meant so much to us. The comfort of God, the love of God is a great motivator for unity. Number three, sharing in the spirit. Now, I don't for any sense of the word tend to know what the Trinity is or how it all works, how the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're three and they're one. So for Paul to say to share with Jesus in the Spirit, how do we do that when they're one and then they're two? I, I don't understand that, but John actually, I think, clarifies it a little bit for us in John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39. He, he quotes Jesus first. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. So whoever believes in Jesus will have rivers of living water within them. What, what are those rivers? Verse 39, by this he meant the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to later receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So anyone who shares in the Spirit, who has Jesus living within them through the Holy Spirit, will be motivated towards unity because God says, I'm now going to dwell in you. That's how united I want to be with you. I want to be one with you. I want to set up shop in you. Until this point, you had to go to the temple to find God. Now God says, I'm gonna live with you. That's how close I wanna be. That's how united I wanna be. And I hope that that motivates us to be united with others. And then finally, finally, the tenderness and compassion that come from God. Have you ever experienced the tenderness of God? His compassion when you fall short. These two things can be experienced through others as well. One of the ways that God, I think, shows us his tenderness and compassion is by helping others meet us in our times of need with tenderness and compassion. It's a huge motivation for us to see that we cannot do this alone. We cannot do this at an arm's length from everybody else. One of the best motivators for unity, to pursue unity, is how God pursues us. And then Paul takes it to the next logical step. What are the actions then required of us that will produce unity? What are the action steps, the things that we need to do? Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. By being like-minded, having the same love being one in spirit and of one mind. Just as God pursued you in unity, now you do the same. You do as he's shown you how to do. This will make my joy complete. By being like-minded, like-mindedness does not mean that we have to think the same way about everything. 
We don't have to have the same political views, the same social views, even the same biblical views. That's not what like-mindedness means. That's not what he's talking about here. I think the phrase actually modifies the next three statements. I want you to be like-minded in pursuing these next three things together because they will produce unity. So you strive after these together. That's how I want you to be like-minded because you've already been shown this by God and how he pursues you. Paul says, I want you to have the same love, a love that is mutual from both sides. Unity will not occur when one side is choosing to love and the other is choosing to hate. Unity is impossible at that point. So Paul says, hey church, I need you to love one another. I need you to have the same kind of love Unity always breaks down when one side fails to love. That's why Jesus says something so audacious as love your enemy. Why does he say that? Because he loves that person and you should too, simply because God loves them. That love needs to be mutual and needs to be the same. That love comes from the Father and it's from an overflow of our hearts. He says, number two, you need to be of one spirit. Now, we heard that with Jesus, you know, saying that he's going to unite with one spirit. But this is actually literally be of one soul. Be so connected in unity that you're like one soul. Now, I don't know if you believe in the idea of a soulmate, that, that one person out there that's for you, that you're going to be the happiest with. I don't think that's a biblical concept. You may believe in it. You may not. But, but church, it's imperative that we see this. We are united with all people because we are all created by the same loving creator. And we are united with all people because we are all fallen and broken and in desperate need of a rescuer. We are more alike than we would ever think. And to be united means to be of one soul seeing that that person who thinks different, acts different, lives different, is just like you. We're one soul. And this is hard right now because seeing people in that way, it's difficult even in a calm climate where words can be met with some grace. But now, and this is not to take a dig at anybody we have people who are divided so harshly over wearing a mask, putting something over their face to the point that we're seeing families divided. We're seeing churches divided over this. I, I, I have tons of pastor friends who are calling me going, Todd, I don't know what to do. If I do this, 10 people leave, but 10 new people come in because that's what the, they wanted. What do I do? It's, it feels like everything I do is so polarizing. It's so divisive. And I have nothing to give to them. I have no advice. But I beg of all of you listening today, realize that unity comes from understanding we are one soul created by one perfect God. And we're so desperately in need of him that it unites us regardless of race, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of political party, we're one because of the one that created us. If we want to be united, we need to be of one soul and we need to see that. And the final action, 
is probably the most important one, especially for the church. We need to be of one mind. And if you're like me, you read that and you're like, how's that different than being like-minded? That's the same thought. Well, this phrase, I looked it up, it's actually better translated, be of one purpose. Have a shared objective. Right now, everyone seems to have their own soapbox. Everyone seems to have their own agenda. I don't, I don't know if you're sensing that, but boy, I sure am. The thing that they are passionate about right now, and if you're not passionate about it, then you're stupid. That really seems to be the climate that we're living in. And what Paul says is, hey, you need to be of one purpose. You need to have one mission. You need to see that this unites you. This is an action step that will bring unity that produces joy. And for the church, it's easy. Now, for the world, for the globe, I don't know if we're ever going to agree on one purpose, okay? I, I just don't think that's realistic. But for the church, the purpose, the mission, it hasn't changed it hasn't changed. The purpose is simple. Love God, love people, and make disciples. Division occurs when we pursue our individualistic needs, wants, and agendas. It instantaneously creates division. But unity is produced, and that unity produces joy. It's produced when we remember the purpose that's greater than any one of us. That purpose was given to us by Jesus, and it's what we're called to execute. And finally, there's an attitude that's required to pursue unity. There's an attitude that we need to take on, and I'm going to be candid with you before we even jump into it. This is a high bar because this is the attitude of Jesus himself. So, so this is not a simple attitude to just embrace. But if we've seen the biblical motivations to pursue unity that produce joy, and we've seen the action steps necessary to produce unity that will produce joy, then here's the attitude. Here's the mindset that we need to have to pursue unity. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So Paul starts first off with the attitudes that will destroy unity. Here's what will destroy unity every single time. Selfish ambition and vain conceit. What do those two phrases mean? Well, selfish ambition is the desire to exalt oneself. Unity cannot occur if your greatest desire is to exalt yourself above the rest of the people. That by nature is divisive. I'm better than you. I think higher than you. I have better ideas than you. You need to look to me to find your wisdom and your purpose. That is divisive. So you have selfish ambition, and then you have vain conceit, which means to have an improper evaluation of oneself. You have too high a view of yourself. You see yourself as being the most important one in the group. The only one that matters. These things will destroy unity. So, if you do not want to be seen as selfishly ambitious or possessing vain conceit, what do you do in this time? What do you do? I have one suggestion. It's not the fix-all, but one suggestion. This would be a good time to listen. This would be a good time to listen. Because I've never heard of anyone being accused of selfish ambition or vain conceit 
by sitting silently and taking in the opinions and the views of others. That is very inclusive. It is very unifying. And it might just be a good solution for now. But the attitude that cannot be present to produce unity is selfish ambition and vain conceit. So what attitudes need to be present to produce unity? First, humility. And Paul defines it for us there in verse 3. He defines it as valuing others above yourself. We don't have to take it any further. We don't have to think it out any bigger. What is humility? Hey, you, you're more valuable than me. Not in your eternal value, but in this conversation, in this time, I'm going to put you first. And that's what Paul says next. You need to put your own interests aside and look to the interests of others. I have a three-year-old at home. It's not easy for him to do this. He thinks he should get everything he wants when he wants it, no questions asked. We are trying as parents to curb some of that, but there's really no negotiating with a three-year-old who wants it, he wants it, he's gonna get it. As hard as that is for a three-year-old, I think it's sometimes equally as hard for an adult to put aside your own interests, to put aside your own opinions for the sake of someone else who you might believe their interests and their opinions are wrong. They're silly. Maybe they're even stupid. So Todd, am I really supposed to do that? Am I supposed to just close my eyes to the ignorance that's happening right now? Am I supposed to do that? No, you don't have to like their interests. You don't have to even accept their interests. But you need to love them enough to let them have their interests. And you need to humble yourself enough to let them know that you care, that you're for them. That attitude of humility and putting others' interests uh, putting others' interests ahead of your own, that attitude will produce unity. So, how do you find joy in this crazy season? I would say, pursue unity. That's going to take some work. Pursue unity. Fight against division and divisiveness. How? How do you do that? Well, Paul's already laid it out there, so I'll just walk back through it very quickly. I would start with finding encouragement from being united with Christ. Hey, in the end, you still got Jesus. It's all good. Second, I would draw from the comfort of his love his tenderness and his compassion. The way that he united himself with you is the way that we should look to unite ourselves with others. This will lead you to showing others the same thing. I think you need to share in the same love that God shared with you. As he loves you, you love others. I think you need to understand that we are all created in the same image of God. All of us. We're one soul think that will help break down walls quicker than any other suggestion from this passage. I think we need to make the purpose the main focus. Stop getting distracted from the mission. Return to the most foundational thing, loving God, loving people, and making disciples. That's what we're called to do here. We're not called to win political arguments. 
You need to purge selfish ambition and vain conceit from your life. And it's not easy. It's not easy to do that. But you need to ask the Lord to come and examine you, to humble you, and to help teach you how to put the interest of others ahead of your own. Ask the Spirit who dwells within you like a river flowing. Ask him to come and show you how you can do it. I think this is a solution to the lack of joy that you may be feeling at this moment. I think it's a solution that can be executed. Not only do I think it could radically impact you individually, but I think it could impact our communities and even our world. I think this is something we all need to hear. And don't forget, if you choose today to pursue unity, it comes with a reward. That reward is great joy. Paul says it, make my joy complete by being one, by being like-minded, by pursuing the same things. If you want today to experience the joy that comes from unity and the peace that comes from unity, then I finish with this. I would encourage you to do this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And now, because of that humility, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father in perfect joy, looking down upon each and every one of you, saying, I have joy abounding for you if you will simply pursue unity. Father, help us do just that. Help us do that not only for your glory, but for our joy and for the joy of everyone else that we come into contact with. Come and look deep into each of our hearts. Help us see where we need to change, where we need to be transformed.